just ends up to anyone listening, like our there's construction outside and our dog is freaking out and like so if you hear any like noises or the pitter patter of small feet on ground, it's a very upset dog. My name is Brie Castellini. I used to be a spy. My name is Chris Cherry. I used to be someone who doesn't watch Outlander. And this is Burn Notice, a weekly rewatch not of Outlander, but of the USA television masterpiece, wait for it, Burn Notice, about Michael Weston, a spy. Throughout this podcast, we will be rating each episode on whether it is an episode of television, a great episode of television, or a great episode of Burn Notice. If you want to know what complicated calculations go into these ratings, wait until the end, where we'll explain them scientifically. Also, if you or anyone you know knows Jeffrey Donovan or anyone who's worked on Burn Notice ever, please get in touch. You can send us connections, questions, suggestions, compliments, and no criticism of any kind, unless you've worked on Burn Notice, to burnnoticedpodcast at gmail.com or to our Twitter at burnnoticedpod. And as always, my good friends, that is burnnoticed with a D. You've got a good energy today. I Do I? <laughs> I had a whole night's sleep. It, that rarely happens before we do these things. And it's a three-day weekend, so I don't have the I Sunday scaries. I did not have a whole night's sleep. I have the opposite energy. <laughs> I look like a mess oh, right no. now. Oh, no. Well, good thing we don't actually look at each other when we record these. Oh, anymore. yeah. No, thank God. I look terrible. I do miss, I will say, I do miss recording in the same room. Uh, no, I don't. <laughs> I will, for, I think the reason that I miss it only is because, like, I think there are times and it comes out more because I also edit these episodes where there's more awkward pauses than there used to be just because we're both waiting if the other one Makes has sense. like a bit to do. And, and yeah, it's harder still, to like riff. nonverbal cues. Yeah, because we used to have all sorts of nonverbal cues and it used to just like being in the same room, I feel like, has a different cadence of conversation. Um, not one true. that I miss so much that I would do a video call with you because that seems like no, an extra never, no, never no, would you no, do thank this. you. I mean, today I do I that for my other podcast and it sucks. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I, I feel that. So why for, for so I have two questions. First, why did you have such a bad night? And second, how far in Outlander are you? I didn't have a bad day. I just got woken up early and then I never went back to sleep. By I, um, like a specific thing? I think like by the dog or something. I don't know. Here's the uh, thing. Okay. I never know what wakes me up. I just like notice that I'm awake. know that you awake. are awake? Yeah, like I sure. wake up and like I don't know what the thing was that happened that woke me up. I was asleep for that part. Anyway, but yes, I am now into, I think I'm like season two, episode four of Outlander. And I am okay. so glad that we are out of the Highlands. Ugh, I don't understand. It's like the Highlands are the fa- my favorite part. No, like, I just, I don't care they're... for it. I mean, I didn't mind the Highlands like at first. It's not like, again, I like the Mackenzie Castle. I just did not like all of the non-Mackenzie Castle. Like all of the running around and one of them gets captured and they break that one free and then the other one gets captured and it's like, <laughs> I don't know. I, I think you're more reacting. I mean, I, I'm sure you have a base dislike of that kind of place, which I don't. Um, I, I have the opposite reaction, but I also think that you're probably responding a lot to the pacing, which I agree with. The, the season one the, pacing is wild. It's like, wild. So it's much wild, of that. Pacing. Like rewatching it, I'm like, I will skip full 20 minute chunks and be like, yeah, I didn't miss anything from that. Like I watched the first minute of the scene, figured out what was happening and skipped ahead. 
<laughs> I skipped a lot of the last two episodes of the first season. So I was just like, no. Yeah, well, those I think, yeah. yeah, those are those are the ones that are rough. And those are rough, and so I just avoided them. But now it's great. Like, oh yeah, do you like the like Paris spy nonsense that they're getting up to? No, it's great. Like, there's like prostitutes handing out like dildos to people, people getting their <laughs> badges waxed. Like, Jamie pushed a guy off a ledge. That was all in one episode. Anyway, let's talk about Burn Notice. <laughs> let's let's talk about Burn Notice. I will say the the two final episodes of Burn Notice, I had a lot of fucking fun with, and I'm kind of excited to talk about them. I had some fun. I had I especially had fun with this one. Yeah. This is a real this- like burn for the fans episode of Burn Notice. It really was. I and I, yeah, I, I think that it was it was smart to give this episode to Craig O'Neill. I was nervous because he's been hit or miss recently, but like with the combination of Craig O'Neill and Brennan was an, a dynamite choice, and we'll get yeah. into that. But yeah, so specifically today we were talking about season four, episode seventeen, called "Out of the Fire," which aired December sixteenth, twenty ten, and was written by Craig O'Neill, like I said, and directed by Mark Roskin. This is Mark's first of five future Bird Notice directing gigs. And before this, he directed 19 episodes of The Objectively Superior Leverage, and then later directed 12 episodes of The Objectively Inferior The Librarians. So this is the kind of show he does, it seems like. This is like like right in the middle, Mm -hmm. quality-wise. Yeah. Smack dab in the center. Have you seen The Librarians? in his element. It really is. Uh, And I I think that they're, you know, the directing was fine. You know, there was some bonkers transitions yes i i there's a couple that i have in mind there's a couple like push really dramatic push-ins that i'm like okay mark relax and like there's a couple of like picture there's a bit in this episode where like the frame shrinks and then goes into a like doorway there is some goofy direction there's some goofy direction like in the cold open yes the cold open was the the one i was thinking of the one at the carlitos moment yeah Let's, yeah, and then let's talk some, about like, the slow motion nonsense in the weeds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, but we can't get in the first weeds. First, we gotta always trying to fucking hopscotch me into the weeds, and I will not because be hopscotched. I don't care today. about the IMDb description. I just watched the episode a couple of hours ago. Yeah, but this isn't for you. It's for our listeners. And for our listeners, if you would like to know an overarching IMDb description for this episode before we hop into the weeds, it is as follows. Brennan teams Michael up with Larry Sizemore to track down and kill the people on the list. Short and sweet. See, it didn't take that long. Your protest took longer. And with that, let's get into the weeds. So right. um, in the in the first instance of wild directing and editing, uh, Jesse loads and unloads his gun in slow motion in super close-ups with like this weird distortion, like orange distortion filter over all yeah, the footage like over and over weird. and over it's again like as Sam watches him nervously. Orangey. It's not great. <laughs> it's very strange. Um, but my, but Sam watches all of this take place nervously also in slow motion off to the side. Michael then bursts in to reveal that Brennan's already called to set up a meeting. Where else? At Carlitos. Though he calls it the Carlito. Did you know Notice this? They I did in fact notice what this. They, yes, I. It was very strange, and they they do it a couple of times throughout the episode where they refer to Carlito, not plural, <laughs> like singular. Carlito singular. So I think it's probably the Carlito, it, but like they when you talk about it, like, refer to it at Carlitos. It's Carlitos, yeah. The Carlito makes it sound nicer. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know. It was just very strange because they've never done that before, as to my recollection. Like it's always been Carlitos, as far as I remember. I don't remember either, but it did like, it did strike me as odd. So I'm assuming it's new. 
Yeah, no. Very strange. Anyways, Jesse, of course, insists on going. And Sam's like, um, I just watched this motherfucker load and unload his gun in slow motion for 10 minutes. He cannot come. We cannot let You should let have Jesse seen go. the filter that this guy had. <laughs> yeah, his aura is very orange. And I think that's a bad sign, Michael. Um, and Michael agrees. Michael also reads auras and agrees. Jesse's is all fucked up. Um, but Jesse, of course, is all worked up about the fact that Marv was murdered. And Marv is apparently a very good friend of his. I knew they were like buddies but this is this first this episode it spends a lot of time talking about like how close jesse and marv were and i don't know i i i never got that vibe from them i mean maybe it's because we only ever saw them like at odds or being like blackmailing each other but i just jesse's like attachment to marv seems a little bit overdone based on my understanding of their relationship i feel like when they introduce the character of marv is that like he was like a random government guy that was possibly a little bit scummy and had like the most objectively disgusting wife that ever existed in the history of wives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fuck his wife, um, as, as we know. And like, but then they realized that they were going to keep using him and then they had to make him like slightly better and had to make <laughs> like Jesse care about him more. But it was like not a thing that we had set up from the beginning. No, and but so Jesse is Jesse is all out of sorts in any case. He's grown yeah. to really love Marv in his absence. Um exactly. and absolutely wants to murder Brennan and they're like, We can't trust you. Absolutely not. You have to go talk to Sifa to about Marv's murder. I think is what they said is Sifa. I don't know. They never refer to who Michael or who Jesse is actually speaking to about Marv's death again, but okay. So yeah, so Jesse is basically supposed to go like give the government investigators uh, run for their money. Like he's supposed to kind of distract them while they work out how they're going to deal with Brennan. Like they're like, just keep them off our backs for a little bit. That's your job. And I promise you, we will see justice for Marv. And Jesse's all upset and, you know, wanders off and Mike and Sam go talk to Brennan. But really quickly, before we go away from the scene, there's this really great, set piece that they use there's a steaming mug in the middle of the table sam was drinking coffee while he was nervously watching jesse load and unload his gun and when they cut to the wide shot of the three men like debating who was going to go meet with brennan it's like steaming in a really satisfying way and obviously it was done with like a dry ice because actual like hot liquid a doesn't stay hot that long when you're on a shoot But also it doesn't seem like that anyways. It's not quite so visible, but it was really pretty. Like it struck me. I was like, that's that's a nice little touch of like this steaming mug as Jesse gets more and more steamed about getting to go to this meeting. I don't know. I just thought it was a nice little piece of production I like that. Design. It's a nice little touch. It was a nice little touch. Um, and so we uh, leave that. If and you were the person the who got show. that mug steaming, get in touch. Please, I want to give you compliments. If you're also the person who made like the the bar lights outside of Michael's window for the first couple of seasons that have definitely stopped happening, um, also get in touch because that was cool. If too. You're the person Remember that? who location scouted that one restaurant I didn't like. You can also get in touch <laughs> and we'll talk about it. You can explain how it wasn't well, your fault because I'm sure it wasn't. Yeah. Speaking of restaurants, at the Carlito slash Carlitos, Brennan smugly tells Michael and Sam how much it's cost to keep up with Michael's activities for the past year. It's a lot of money and earns him the lower third very invested in Michael, which I thought was funny. 
I, uh, like, minute one, I love Brandon. I'm so glad he's back. Uh, and I'm so sad this is his last episode because I find him just so delightful. And um, as a as a kind of like a side note, Brennan's dialogue is so fun. It's always fun when we see him. And I'm like this at, in this scene in particular, I'm so relieved they gave this episode to to Craig O'Neill because he just he has really good turns of phrase. Like Craig O'Neill is, is one of the writers that I would trust most with us. I don't even know if I like Michael Horowitz's turn of phrase quite as much. Michael Horowitz, I think, is a better plotter and has some really great stuff. But I think Craig O'Neill and Jason Tracy, they're the real wordsmiths when it comes to dialogue. And when it comes together, I think it really works. Like there's this one line in particular when Brennan passes Michael the first victim that he has to like find and kill. Because like this whole scene is Brennan basically blackmailing Michael into hunting down every member of this list and killing them. And he's going to find a way to monetize that somehow, which we learn about a little bit more later. But he passes Michael the first name he's got to track down. It's, it's, and it's just an ID number. Like all they got from the list is like, this is this person's government ID or something. And as Brennan outlines all these already found out, he kind of tells Michael, all you have to do is turn that number into a name and that name into a corpse. And it's a really great turn, turn of phrase. And it's one of a like one of many lines that I like really that really stood out from Brennan this episode and I enjoy this kind of villain so much somebody who's like who loves his job you know I always love somebody who's satisfied with their lot in life and Brennan absolutely is and it's very fun getting to hear him talk again no I very much enjoyed it and the thing is the episode's smart enough to be like we've set Brennan up last episode we know that he's coming, like, and so we get a whole nice scene that's just him before we do the reveal. Right. So uh, right before the reveal, which we've kind of spoiled because it came up in the IMDb uh, yeah. section, but um, the the way that they're blackmailing Michael is he has like a he has one of those if I don't stop this thing at the same time every day like you know if I die this information gets released into the wild kind of a situation and so in this particular case every morning at 5 a.m. an email is scheduled to go to Vaughn with uh, a tape of Michael's debrief with Marv. So like Michael telling the government every single thing that's happened to him since he was burned uh, and all of the people in the organization that he's met, all the information he has. So basically showing like proving to Vaughn that Michael turned state's evidence and is an enemy to the you know list, whatnot. And um, after the blackmail has sunk in and Michael's like, fine. Brennan's like, oh, I have one more thing. I actually got you somebody to help you out with this because your team's not allowed anywhere fucking near this. But I know you, you know, you probably need somebody else to help. Uh, it's Larry. And like, there's this really funny, way overdone. Um, so overdone. Where, but I got a screenshot from it. And I have to say it's a great screenshot. That's absolutely going to be the promo image. <laughs> but it's like, so uh, Brennan is on one side of the table and Michael and Sam are on the other. And the shot is from behind Michael and Sam. And it pushes in on the table as like slow motion, Michael and Sam turn around to see what is about to be revealed on Brennan's cue. And it pushes in on them as they, it dawns on them. Oh God, Larry, the spy with nine lives, that handsome old devil himself is back. Um, And then that's the end of the cold open. (laughs) It was so over the top that I thought he directed it himself. Bet he had a lot of thoughts about directing. Um, but yeah, I was actually just thinking the other day in between our, our recording sessions that like I was wondering where he was because I knew that he was going to come back at some point. But also like he as a director can come back whenever he wants and he seems like he likes this show. So I was surprised to have not seen his name on anything recently. So I'm, I'm actually, you know, 
Larry's kind of a lot, but I like the last episode he was on, um, even if you didn't, and I'm excited to see what's up with him. And I it's the same say, fucking thing he does every time. <laughs> exactly. The same fucking thing he does every day. I'm not as huge a fan of Larry as you. Um, and as always, we have to get this out of the way. It should have been Lucy Lawless. Yes, 100%. Um, but I liked him in this episode. I thought yeah, like, I think he, having he, him he, also with Brennan so that like he wasn't necessarily the main course. Yes. Like, he's good as like a spice. Totally. Yeah. And I, and I like that both of these villains we've seen before, we have history with them. So we don't have to do a lot of like, this is what my perspective is. Like we both, we know Brennan is like over paranoid, very organized, like always has eight steps planned ahead of him. And we know that Larry's thing is incredibly violent, but like has a good working relationship with Michael to the point where when they do have to do stuff together, there's a good chance that it's succeeding if slightly more violently than intended. So we like, we know what these guys deal is and the fact that they're working together, but also apart, like it adds this nice tension where we can just focus on like what's happening in the episode and how these well-known sort of points of reference for villains are going to react to that. And it just becomes less of like a slog, you know, it's like, we don't have to do all of that setup nonsense. We know we're, we're tense already because we know what we're getting to. No, totally. 100%. I know exactly what you mean. I had to look it up. I was like, is this the hundredth episode of burn notice or something? Like, <laughs> why are we playing the hits on this one? But I guess it's just like, they felt like doing it. And it's like, right. Yeah, before I mean, the it's finale. the end of the season. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, it, it, it works. As a penultimate episode, it's, I think, one of my favorites so far. Um, so back at the loft, Larry and Sam yell at each other <laughs> because Larry and Sam hate each other. And then Sam pulls a rebar, Larry pulls a knife. But when Michael tries to, like, get between them, like, guys, gentlemen, please, um, Sam actually, like, pins Michael against the door and, like, roughs him up, like, I can't believe you're doing this! And then he kind of whispers in his ear, hey, get Larry's cell phone number, I'm working an angle. <laughs> and then, like, is like, fine, I'll leave! And kind of storms off. But now we know that Sam has some kind of plan. I can't be part of this! <laughs> yeah, exactly. But we we now have, like, and since this is something that Larry always wants, it sort of feeds into Larry's, like, need to sort of get Michael alone, because that's always Larry's goal, is to separate Michael from his friends and, you know, convince him to let the darkness out, let his dark passenger get in the in the driver's seat for a little while and so sam kind of feeds into this but also gives michael a message hey we're in this together i have a plan i'm leaving don't think anything of me leaving and i thought that was nice i thought it was a, a nice little little moment and also tim Ma- yeah, no, old ass tim matheson with a knife like <laughs> brandishing it at, at uh sam axe was very funny to me i will say this is like again i love that we have both larry and brennan brennan in this episode that's great that's good it does mean that this is an obnoxiously male episode of Burn Notice. Oh, yeah. I mean, yes. But I will say it works. Like, it... No, I think it does. I think it works. And, it you does, know, totally. this is a boys show for boys. And it's a good episode of the thing that they're trying to do. Uh, it was exciting. There was stuff happening. But yeah, it's extremely masculine. At Madeline's, Jesse is entertaining questions about Marv's death. And uh, one of the things he reveals to whoever it is that from the government that are investigating this death who knew that um, Jesse was friends with him and I guess went in and quote unquote like identified the body uh jesse's like oh yeah while i was there i took this off of him because i figured you guys would come calling soon Uh, i found this file on him that there's no blood on 
which is wild given how Marv died, but he has like this perfectly clean file of uh, making it look like Marv was doing an off the books investigation into a particularly nasty cartel. And it's like, I don't know what it's about. We haven't talked because, you know, I was fired and everything, but maybe you guys will find something in it. And they don't have any questions about this. They're just like, cool, we'll look into it. Bye, Jesse. And okay, (laughs) I'm looking at your notes right here. Yes. And you have nothing about this. So I'm assuming you don't know a very important fact about this scene. Okay. The agent that does all the talking, do you know who that is? No, I have no idea. Is that a person? That is Alfredo Barrios (gasps) Jr. Is it? That is, that's the boy himself. Hang on. I have to find a picture of this scene now. The one, the one questioning him is Alfredo, is our boy? He's our boy. I mean, our garbage boy, Alfredo Barrios Jr. Our bad, bad boy. Incredible. Somebody's name is Alfredo in this episode, too. I did take note of that. Someone's named Alfredo as well, but not the character that Alfredo plays. Incredible. Thank you for bringing this to my attention. I was sad you didn't catch it, but also so glad you didn't catch it. So (laughs) I got to be the one who tell you this. I appreciate it. Thank you for sharing this moment with me. Um, so, You're very welcome. So Alfredo Barrios Jr. asks no questions and is like, yes, I, I believe you that this came from Marv's body and we should look into it. Great. Let's go work on that. So they leave and Jesse and Madeline have a kind of intense scene where Jesse's like feeling a lot of guilt because he feels like it's his fault that Marv died. You know, he got him into this, all of these things. uh, And that he wishes he could like call his wife and kids because, you know, Jesse remembers when his own mom was killed and he didn't know what was happening for several months. And they know nobody told him what the circumstances were. And he was like, sometimes, you know, just knowing is helpful and madeline makes the point like yes but if you called them would there be danger and he's like i mean yes and she's like well then maybe consider that you wanting to unburden your guilt isn't about making them feel better and so try to stop framing it that way like hey maybe this sounds like it's something that you need but not something that they need and don't call them and jesse's like yeah you're right okay We'll come back to this later, but that's where the scene ends. I it, was, it struck me again in this moment that like every serious scene that Madeline is in elevates the other actor. Like, I don't know how she does it, but Sharon Bless has this magnet energy of like, she makes everyone around her better. Every scene with her and Jeffrey Donovan is Jeffrey Donovan's best acting. Every scene with her and Jesse is Jesse's best acting. Like, I don't think Kobe Bell is a bad actor we can have conversations about Jeffrey Donovan, but like if they're in a fucking scene with Sharon Bless, it's electric. And I thought that Jesse did a really good job because he's in the scene with Madeline. So outside the courthouse where Michael and Larry are set to match the number to the name, um, because Brennan made some comment about how like the, the computer system at a federal courthouse can get them the same information as breaking into like a federal building. Um, Larry unsurprisingly suggests violence as he screws his silencer into place on his gun. And Michael unsurprisingly to all but Larry suggests less violence and no guns, referencing an old play of theirs that uh, Larry grudgingly accepts stowing his gun for now. There's a shot that of Larry putting his gun into the glove compartment, but not completely that I thought was going to be like foreshadowing for Larry definitely still bringing his gun with him. It does not. But Larry does in fact put his gun away and doesn't use his gun. As per usual, Larry's like, what do you mean you're not going to do violence with me? And I just like, this is the one thing that I get tired with, with Larry, because I think especially after what, three episodes, two episodes with him where he does this exact same thing. It's like, Larry, do you genuinely not get this? Because the show has yet, has still not done 
the thing that it's supposed to do, which is convince us that there is a dark passenger in Michael Weston. It has never successfully done that. And so the fact that Larry stubbornly continues to act as though it's a surprise to him that Michael's like, we should do spycraft over violence is very frustrating. It's like, get a new thing, Larry. It's so frustrating. No, this is the thing. Every time he'll say these things, like he's always shocked. He's always shocked. It would be one thing, like what I was hoping for is for him to be over it. Like I was I was kind of hoping for him to come into this episode with the energy of like, you know, I'm now just going to be a ball of chaos in your life. Like, I know you don't like the violence, but uh, pal, it looks like we're working together and you're going to need to deal with it. Like, I was kind of hoping for him to like try a new strategy at the very least, because I can respect that Larry's whole thing is he wants his murder buddy back for however relevant, for however accurate that actually was to their relationship. But like, I would have liked to see a slightly new tactic than just like genuine confusion that Michael does the thing he does every time they see each other now. Like I was saying earlier, like they're doing this thing where they're not doing anything new with Larry, but since he's in an episode with Brennan, it's more manageable because like they don't have to build an episode around Larry. Right. So like, but they're not doing any new beats with Larry either. Mm -hmm. They're like, we're going to do our same old Larry thing, but like now we're going to do it in an episode with Brennan. And so like, we don't have to build the entire episode around it. But, like, it's still annoying that the beats are there. It really makes him seem, like, genuinely stupid. <laughs> yes, exactly. Like, just genuinely so stupid. Especially because the last time we saw him, Michael, like, fully scammed the fuck out of him and forced him to, like, go back into Witsec or something. Like, he, he did, like, a whole 180 on him and made him look really stupid. And while I can believe that Larry thinks that his old friends might still be in there... I do think that it's frustrating that his tactic is the same every time and the tactic is just, huh? <laughs> like, there's no new play, especially with, like, bloodthirsty Brennan next to him. He hasn't learned anything new that might entice his friend's dark passenger out. Like, it's just, try something new, Larry. That's all I'm asking. We will, and we will still, like... He's just, he's so thirsty. We will still remember, like, he can be thirsty, though. Like, that's my point, is that he can continue to be thirsty, but we don't need to have his but strategy. There's only be the one same. way this man knows how to be thirsty. And it's just, why aren't you also thirsty? Come on, I, I brought us both Here's water. The thing. Larry Sizemore is a god amongst men. <laughs> yes, he certainly the most handsome on the show. Among, so he walks among mere mortals. <laughs> Women want him, men want to be him. He has never been told no in his life. So, like, I think that's that's the read on it that I'm taking. <laughs> Is it literally this big, beautiful man is that used to being told no, and he has no strategy for dealing with it? It almost feels like they don't trust that we'll remember his whole deal. And so if they just do the same thing again, we'll be like, oh, yeah, that's his thing. <laughs> and maybe it's a result of us watching all of Burn Notice so much more closely together than it originally aired. But it's particularly striking in our rewatch, you know, how just identical copy paste these fucking beats are anyways i can't get bogged down in larry being annoying but um especially when for a lot of this episode he's quite fun so anyways they they have agreed upon their play and it's something they did i think in russia back in the day and as they walk into the building michael kind of casually asks for his cell phone so that they can do part of their bit and covertly texts it to sam and fee who are parked nearby getting ready to triangulate the signal once larry calls brennan with the name that they're about to get so the bit 
which I enjoyed a lot and had to pause a lot because I was laughing so hard. This is a really good bit. It's such a good... This is a really good bit. It's a very fun bit. So the bit is Larry barges into a clerk's office that they need access to, demanding a giant, like, file from an ongoing case. And he he picks off the wall one of the ones that seems like a really big deal. And it's like, I just got assigned to this case because... On the big wall of cases that they've got. (laughs) Yeah, you know, the way that clerks do but um his his whole thing is yeah. like i was put on this case it's like a big like yeah it's like a whiteboard mm-hmm. and they've got written out like the like the beer of the day at like a bar in brooklyn yeah exactly except in this case it's court cases and so he picks one of those that looks like a big important one and basically says like i was just assigned to this case the old attorney was bullshit and i have a meeting with the judge can i get all of these files and it's like a big file and the clerk's like um well, but I don't see a note on the file about that. I'm sorry. I can't just like give this to you. And so Larry's getting all worked up. And then um, Michael calls him as the judge. And we can hear Michael Weston's judge voice through the phone, which is always incredible about like, where are you? Where did you get those files yet? Blah, blah, blah. I'm judge. What's his name? Um, And so then as like, he's like, do you hear? Do you hear this judge being angry? And the clerk's kind of getting flustered. Then Michael Weston comes in as like, assistant counsel or whatever he bursts in and he looks so he's like all hunched over you know he's doing his beta male bit um that was something they agreed upon early on is like he was like larry you get to be the boss if we do this bit and larry's like well i do like being the boss so sure and so michael comes in all you know beta male and is like oh did you get the stuff i have the i have the paperwork for the change in attorney forms but we have to go to our meeting and so like it's back and forth and back and forth and i am just like i'm losing it not only at michael's feigned bewilderment which is always fair fun but also jeffrey donovan's attempt not to laugh that's so transparent throughout the entire scene but honestly i don't begrudge him that i like it when michael weston looks like he's about to laugh because it makes me feel like jeffrey donovan's having a good time at work and i want that for him and i'm having a good time watching it. <laughs> i did like, too it literally this scene is so goofy it's great it's, it's like good. And also it's... I love this show the best when, like, <laughs> they kind of give up any pretense of, like, th- this being a realistic thing that a spy would do. I mean, it might be. I like when they're not so serious about it. Like, I like the parts of Spycraft that are just like, you know, we just got to put on a production. Yes. No, yeah. I love watching characters put on a show. <laughs> but I... Uh, Makes me happy every time. USA characters welcome. But what I also liked about this was that it does establish that... They did have a good working relationship at one point because of the way, like, when Michael calls him as the judge, like, presumably he's listening, so he hears a little bit of it, but um, what's his name? Uh, Larry, like, feeds him the name of the judge so that he can say it, you know, and he can say it when he comes into the room, and he can kind of give Michael over the phone some of the details he might need for his entrance, and then, like, you can watch as they just sort of play off each other with, like, the information both of them have to kind of build this improv scene together, and they do it again later later on and it's very effective like it 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 is a well-oiled machine clearly whatever these men were doing together when they were murder buddies was very successful and i enjoyed watching that sort of thing put into place but basically after yeah you think they fucked (laughs) in real life or in 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 the show (laughs) do i think in real life obviously not like yeah in the show do you think these two characters fucked while they were spies. I don't think Matt Nix thinks they fucked. But that's not the question you're asking. <laughs> that, no, I'm asking you, Brie Castellini, do you think these two characters fucked? I don't think so. Partially because I, I actually am still holding on to the demi-graysexual Michael 
sort of canon. Because, like, even with Fee, he doesn't generally seem all that motivated by sex. No, yeah, that makes sense. So I don't... I buy that kick in it. Yeah, right? And, and, and I've brought it up before. But, yeah, I, I think that Michael is great ace. Especially because, like, he clearly didn't have that many, like romantic partners before and then when we met his ex-fiance we learned that she proposed to him and he just seems very uncomfortable with the whole thing and so yeah i don't think that he like makes enough like emotional connections to get that far with a lot of people and even when he does i don't think that sex is his primary motivating factor for being in those relationships like it very much seems like he wants to have a deep emotional connection um and i don't think that that was ever the case with larry like with larry it would just be like you know we're in over our heads. This might be our last night on earth. Let's fuck. And I don't think that that's the Michael Weston that I have come to know and love. You know what? I buy that. That all makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I think Tim Matheson thinks they fuck. Oh, absolutely. He does. And you know what? I love that for him. I love that journey for him. Yeah. (laughs) So anyway, so the clerk freaks out at all this chaos and is like, I have to go ask my boss something and just leaves. And they're like, cool, bye. And then they go to the server room. They get the information. They call Brennan with the news. And unfortunately, as it is like (laughs) the first 10 minutes of the episode, the triangulation of Brennan's signal doesn't work because he's got a very sophisticated like scrambler attached to it. So they have the, so uh, Sam and Fee have no idea where he is. And then in the courthouse, an alarm starts going off because they had like a certain amount of time to get the information before the alarm would start going off I guess Um, and I kind of thought that Michael had set it off because he was like we have 30 seconds but then quicker than 30 seconds the alarm starts going off and Michael was like not leaving ahead of that because he's like no I need to cover my tracks before we just leave and then all of a sudden the alarm starts going off and he's like all right well I guess we gotta leave now and I was like ooh maybe Michael like put something in the system so somebody would know he was there no that never comes up again either (laughs) but once again I was like ooh maybe there's a twist there's not so they run out and they're like we'll use the service entrance (laughs) we'll use the the service elevator but then a bunch of security guards come up out of the elevator and immediately they go back to their little back and forth where Larry's like yelling and like who's the boss who's the boss and they they do their little two lawyers in a fight bit until the security is like ugh you guys go somewhere else I don't there's a disturbance up here that you're definitely not attached to so please leave me alone I have to go deal with this and they get off scot-free this is a television show about how if you're a white man you can just go anywhere and you know what they're not wrong so uh speaking of white men back at carlitos over mojitos brennan hands over a full file on love a carlito mojito the carlito mojito uh so brennan hands over a file to larry and michael of their first victim whose name is like machado or something and also lets slip that they're not just going to kill him but they're going to be framing a filipino separatist group for the death which is news to both michael and larry um and this is kind of it seems like how brennan plans on making money from the list because at first i was like how is he going to make money off of just like killing a bunch of people but it makes sense if he is basically offering it to people with political enemies like hey i will set up your enemies for murder of a high level government person if you pay me money and so like i was like okay that makes sense to me and they didn't even spend that much time on like belaboring the point which they normally would so i was like cool I don't even think Brennan explicitly says, like, this is how I'm going to make money off the list. It's just he's finally kind of given us that detail. And I'm like, oh, that makes sense to me. We can move on. And I would like more of this from Bird Notice. Trust me that I'll put the pieces together. <laughs> I don't need you to overexposit every single little thing to me. I just want you to give me the details so that I can do something with them. And uh, at first, Michael and Larry are kind of upset. But then Larry's like, well, I still get to kill somebody. So I guess I'm fine with this. And Michael's like, well, how about we just kidnap him 
And then you actually get more of a return on your investment because you get the money from whoever wants the Filipino separatist group taken down. Then you get the money from ransoming this guy and you can torture him and learn all sorts of other fun stuff from him. And Brennan's like, okay, sure, we'll try it your way. Uh, let's let's try the more spycraft, less violence route. Larry is devastated as he always is, but because Brennan is uh, ostensibly in charge for the moment, they are going to try this out. Then he also like reiterates to Michael like, hey, you might be thinking I should have somebody tail him. But if I get even a whiff, Vaughn gets the blackmail file. So nobody follow me. Um, also, this is a time where I want to take a quick side note about the list, which we've seen many, many times. And it seems like Brennan hasn't done any more decoding of it. Like he basically took the TXT file that they have of all these random numbers and has started to like, based on the information they do have about the list, like match them to things. Um, and so I know they couldn't make a digital copy of it because of the way it was encrypted, but why couldn't they have taken pictures of it on a cell phone? Like, why do they need to go with, why, why do they need this one stupid flash drive? Like, couldn't they have made a copy by just taking pictures of their screen where all of the numbers are listed out? I don't know. I don't know how long the list is. It doesn't matter. You can fucking, you can take pictures. It's 2010. I mean, you can do that. I was just like. It's just funny I, I that know. this is the I'm... only copy of the list that's out there. And like, I can buy that they need to get it away from bad guys, but I don't buy that no one has been able to make a copy of it. Sure, you can't like copy and paste stuff out of a Word file. Like I'm, I'm fine with that being the process, but like there are other ways to copy things down. Writing it down with your hand and a piece of paper, taking a picture with your cellular device that has a camera on it. Like, I just, it feels like it's not that hard to have a copy of this list. And it's wild that they're like, this one thumb drive is the only place it exists and the only place it can exist. Yeah, that is weird. I don't. Yeah, you're right. I don't know why it's like that. Yeah. So this is the moment in the episode where I am reminded once again that I'm frustrated by that. But let's move on. So Sam and Fee are now going to track down a likely suspect and who sold Brennan, that sophisticated scrambler, to keep his cell phone uh, from being tracked. And they come to a man named Alfredo's shop. Fee blows up his skylight because he's locked his front door and they kind of like drop in from above. And after they've tied him up and kind of held him at gunpoint, Alfredo reveals that he didn't just sell Brennan a scrambler he also sold him a wall safe with a biometric lock, a hand scanner, if you will. And after some aggressive persuasion from Fee, they get the address he installed the safe at. Um, then back with... Do you think that when Craig O'Neill wrote this, this was supposed to be Alfredo Barrios Jr.? <laughs> I don't think so. And then so. Alfredo got the script and was like, and was like, no, I want to be a cop. <laughs> I don't think that Alfredo would have ever let it go far enough to think that he wouldn't just be the cop. Um, no, I don't know. Because generally when they name people after people, it's not that person. Because like Ben Watkins was in an episode, um, but they didn't name him Ben. You know, like I think that it's more fun for them Wait, to play didn't pretend. didn't they though? He had a name. He did have a name. I feel like he had a similar name. I'm sure he did. But my point is, is generally they, they make the homage separate from the cameo. This is true. That's what I thought. But I was just... But it is funny to I think Alfredo Barrios Jr. being like, no, I want to be a cop. The, my my greatest, like, the greatest gift of my life would be to be a cop. <laughs> and he does kind of have cop face. He does. He's got that wide Skylar Aston face. 
Speaking of uh, Skylar Aston, I finally got back into uh, Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist, and now I'm a big fan, and I'm going to watch it forever. I am watching it with my mom. I regret to inform you all that I actually really enjoy it, and I think it's very interesting. I think it's, I think it's like interesting. I could like, I'm going to see where it goes. It's like never going to be my favorite. Thing, oh no! But it's like a thing that I like watching with my mom. Yeah. I like watching it with my mom. And I'm interested. I would never watch it without my mom. <laughs> I am interested in how they explain everything. Because, like, there's a point, especially towards the end of season one, where, like, it becomes actively intrusive to her life in a way that I find interesting in terms of how they're going to figure out how to resolve it. Because, like, they've, they've introduced all these rules about it. Um, and I, I'm interested because it kind of seems like a curse. And I wonder how they navigate around the, like, actively intrusive parts of it it's interesting that they do that because like early on in the season they like have a scene that's literally just like don't worry about it Mm -hmm. well i think that's what got me back into it is that like i was seeing people online talk about how it gets kind of like cursed and i was like i'm interested now and i like skylar astin and i like lauren graham and i'm interested in watching this i don't this is a thing that i learned from watching zoe's extraordinary playlist I don't like Skylar Aston. Oh, that's I find too bad. Him off-putting. I loved him. I've loved him since Pitch Perfect. I find everything he's in to be charming. No, I no. I, he annoys me. He's the only type of goody two-shoes boy and that I'm he... attracted to. No, see, that's the thing is that he doesn't seem like a goody two-shoes boy. He seems like like he has kind of jerk vibes, but like mm. he's always he seems like the kind of actor that like plays like the boy next door nice guys and is kind of a yeah but he's kind of a dick he is because he's got like what's his name what's his name from how i met your mother vibes oh ted ted he's got ted mosby vibes oh i don't get ted mosby vibes from him but i'll say when i first watched how i met your mother i liked ted too i have since changed my mind but yeah i i find skylar aston very charming yeah no i find him like off-putting anyways um, so Michael and Larry are uh, scoping out the compound of their target while discussing the fact that they're both definitely interested in taking Brennan down if the opportunity presents itself. Uh, but I will say it's a confusing transition because at the end of the Alfredo scene, Fee ex- is about to extract the address of where Brennan has put the safe. And then the next cut we have is of a compound that Michael and Larry are looking at. And it's a little confusing that we go, like, because usually that cue sets up that the next scene is going to be at the place where the, because we've never seen this location before. So if but we're about to gone. see an unknown yes. location, it tracks that the unknown location but we would be the one set up in the previous scene. And it's not that. I found that a confusing thing. No, yeah, you're right. It, may be, it might be the case that, like, it was originally written where the next scene was them scoping out from the building. And then in editing, they rearranged it. But I didn't love that. Like, visual storytelling is important, and um, I don't think that was a good job. But all that we really get from this scene is that Michael and Larry are both like, fuck Brennan, eventually. Um, So then they go meet with Brennan after their target gets home, and they all go over the plan based on the security that they observed. Michael suggests that they wait one or two more days to observe the guard shift so that they can make, like, a better educated decision of when they should breach the compound, because they've got this whole plan. Um, And Brennan's like, no, we're not going to do that. I'm not going to give you one to two more days to figure out a way to screw me. You're going to go in right now. Here's some uh, bulletproof vests and the schematics to how to build a bomb like this Filipino separatist 
this group. Have fun. And then like drives away. And I, once again, fucking love that about Brennan. I love that he's like, no, 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 no. We're playing my game. And um, I. Yeah, no, I love that. And like, he is the only person who like understands how Michael works, actually. Mm hmm. It's true. Like, it's like, no, you're Michael Weston. You can literally do this. And I and what I do like you're about this whiny. is that like the way that this all breaks down is Brennan understands Michael really well and doesn't understand Larry. But alternatively, Larry thinks he understands Michael really well, whereas Michael really understands Larry. So it's about this sort of like trio of misunderstandings where everyone thinks they're a little bit smarter than they actually are, um, but they fail to account for the other person in the equation. No, yeah, that makes sense. And I like that. It's a dark little twist pretzel, and I like it. I like this little boy pretzel we've made. So um, we get a very unsexy bomb building montage. I hate it, Um, but that's a thing that's happening. And so the actual plan is to, like, blow the power at the compound. There's, like, a – they found where the power is that charges up the compound. They're going to blow that and make a big old explosion and sneak in the sideway while, like, all the motion centers and the cameras are down because they blew the, you know, reactor or whatever it is that's the the generator. Um, And that's the plan. And they're going to – they basically have, like, a very small window of time where the distraction will hold so that they can go in, grab the guy, and, like, escort him off the premises. So – uh, meanwhile, back at the loft, the other three, Jesse, Fee, and Sam, discuss what to do about this big fancy safe. And Jesse, who Larry would love, by the way, advocates for uh, just putting a gun in Brennan's mouth and being like, "Hey, you, yeah. give us the, give us your hand, and stop sending the email." Um, and <laughs> they're like, "Maybe, no, hang on, Mini Larry." Well, Fee is like, maybe, yeah. Well, yeah, that's true. Fee Fee is like, I like the way you think. And Sam's like, both of you murder hobos sit down. No. So (laughs) unfortunately, they all like head to kind of scope out where the location is. And they discover that Brennan got the safe installed in this like empty abandoned building and wired it to the brim with cameras. So going in subtly and like kind of just like waiting for him in his house to like get home and then jump him there. That's not going to work. There's no way to subtly get into this place to either try to break the lock or to wait for Brennan to get home and force him to break the lock. So they're they're like, if only someone got Brennan out of the way. If only. Speaking of, at the breach, Michael and Larry let their bombs blow and separate for their little two minute window to go about their individual parts of the plan. And Michael, of course, takes this opportunity to check in with the rest of the gang who fill him in on what they've learned. And Michael, realizing that time's up as he sees Machado run out of the compound and like get into his car um basically tells them don't try to breach yourself but i think larry might be able to help us so uh just hold hold fast this is great i'll talk to you guys later uh unfortunately larry's also gonna pull a larry so instead of helping michael kidnap their target as planned he (laughs) blows him the fuck up and they run away um and that is it's very fun like basically michael is holding him at this is also the episode that is the best that sells Larry is a chaotic force. Oh, totally. Totally, totally, totally. But yeah, the way that it works and it like we get a great like crazy eye Larry scene is that um, the bad guy is in the car. Michael has gotten his gun away from him and is like holding him at gunpoint. But then instead of like helping Michael like, you know, hog time and get him out of the compound, Larry runs up, drops a loaded bomb into the car and is like, bye. <laughs> like runs off and the guy's car explodes behind them as they run away 
I enjoyed it. No, it's very good. Um, and then as they are racing away, Larry tries again to bring out Michael's darkness he's so obsessed with, and Michael kind of tacitly agrees to let him to like run you know this gambit with him and like go kill all of the people um but they have to both agree no kids no wives and also no brennans revealing that um sam and fee have already found the list earlier that day but they need brennan's blackmail file first and brennan and larry's like hell yeah so psyched let's kill brennan let's get your blackmail details like we will we will get you out of this and then you and i are gonna go hunt down the people on this list and we're gonna make all the money so they go drive to see Brennan, who's pouring champagne as they drive to meet up with him. But then Larry pulls another Larry and also pulls a knife out, driving it through Brennan's back. <laughs> Basically, he, his little line is like, the thing about biometric locks is that the owner doesn't need to be alive to unlock them. And he's also like, Michael, don't look so shocked. Like, why would I want the blackmail to be gone? If Vaughn gets that file on you, then everyone is going to descend on you and you're going to not really have any choice and are going to depend on me to survive. So like, of course I would A, want to kill Brennan, which we both want, but also B, not get the blackmail file first. Like, are you stupid? I'm, you must be stupid. We're going to do this, but I'm going to put you in a position where you don't have a choice. Yeah, that was very good. Sad to see Brennan go. I'm very sad to see Brennan go. But it. But if he has to die. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it kind of works like this. Having him die at the hands of Larry is good. Yeah, I, I think so. And I, I also, it, it very much is I, like an example of Brennan, like being five steps ahead of Michael, but two steps behind Larry. Because I think that he, Brennan's kind of like a gentleman's villain, you know? Where, like, he he can play off of the fact that Michael doesn't want to get his hands dirty um, and will if he must, but only if he must. And he'll try to wriggle his way out of it. And so he feels, I think, generally safe that Michael's not going to kill him. And Michael will just sort of deal with it. And as long as he can stay a couple steps ahead of him in terms of, like, the spycraft stuff, Michael is not going to resort to violence against him. At least he hasn't yet. Uh, And I think he's failed to account for the fact that uh, Larry is a loose cannon (laughs) and cannot just be reasoned with because Larry doesn't care as long as he gets to, like, murder and have a good time. That twist plays. I think so, too, yeah. Like, I think it's, like, genuinely kind of... It's not... Like, it makes sense that it happens, and when it happens, you're like, yeah, no, of course this is going to happen. But I think it's, like, partially because Brennan's come back so many times, like, it does kind of play as an actual surprise. Yeah, yeah, I kind of took for granted that we'd maybe get to see Brennan a couple of more and like, times. Again, it's the only time that I super bought Larry, mm-hmm. so I'm cool with it. Yeah, me too. Like, I like when instead of listening to Michael and hoping that eventually he'll convince him to murder, he just does some murders. The only other thing that happens in this scene is that Larry's like, call off your friends. They're not allowed to be here. Like, if they're anywhere near this, I will kill them all, even your mom. And Michael's like, fine. And so he calls Fiona and he tells them all to get out of town and then also calls Fiona honey, which we learn is um, a a distress signal. And so they all kind of sit there like, well, <laughs> do we listen to him? Like, is it a distress signal? Like, we all actually do need to get out of town. This isn't a time for arguing. Or, and Fiona's like, I'm going to go with the or. Let's fuck this shit up. So um, as Michael and Larry speed to the safe. I, say, with- I did really enjoy this scene. What I liked about this is that I feel like lots of times, like, what happens on this show is that, like, a character will say, like, two lines and then, like, at the other, like, a character will be like, well, obviously it means that, like, we have to go to this point and then do this thing and turn the knob three times and, like, all of that stuff. Like, and didn't you get it from this two lines of dialogue? So I like that there was, like, a little bit of confusion of, like, well, what should we do now? What did he, did he, like... Like, how do we interpret the fact that he's in distress? Exactly, yeah. Trying to find meaning in the things that he said, but they're, like, not sure about it. 
And like, I liked that. Yeah, I thought it was nice. And I and I like, like the, the next couple of, the, the next episode is also like this, where it's a lot of just this team has come so far with each other and like it goes deeper than just we work well together. And I like that they're, they, I, I really do buy all of their connection. Like I buy their loyalty to one another. And I, I think it's really lovely to watch it play out and watch them figure out how to like save each other. Um, and yeah, I like them a lot. So they, they decide like, you know what? The way that we're interpreting this is we're going to get that fucking safe out of the wall. So as Michael and Larry speed to the safe with Brennan's body in the trunk, sad but inevitable, Fee and Jesse break the safe fully out of the wall because they know that they don't have time to crack it like while it's still in the wall, toss it off the side of the building, and then toss themselves off after it. When Michael and Larry enter the apartment, Larry obviously immediately knows something is up, but then uh, then kind of has to stop because a sniper dot is on his shirt and he hears his phone ring. So Sam, on the other end of the phone, with the sniper rifle trained on him, tells him to let Michael go or else, and Larry tries to pretend that he'll shoot Michael first anyways, but Michael's like, "Mm, I would die for what I believe in and you will die for nothing. I know that little cockroach Larry always depends on survival above all. So I'm going to leave and you're going to just stand here and wait for the cops to come. And uh, Larry is like, oh, no, I'm I'm definitely going to shoot you. And then absolutely doesn't shoot him because he knows that Michael's right. If Michael gets shot, Sam will shoot Larry and Larry will die. So Michael leaves and Larry looks very, very upset as the police sirens. This is where like Michael says the line. He kind of like alluded to it earlier that like that, like Larry only thinks he understands Michael, but he doesn't understand Michael. And he says it all serious, like in this like close up. And it's like, (laughs) well, he also says like, but I know like he's like, you think you know me, but I know I know you or something like that. Yeah. He's like, you don't know me at all. Like it's like slightly a little too belabored. But it works. Yeah, it works. And, like, I just hope that if we ever see Larry again, it's sunk in. And he either becomes more of an antagonist or, at the very goddamn least, changes his tactic. I am begging you, Burn Notice. If Larry Sizemore comes back, give him something new to do. Anyways. No, um, yeah, I, I agree. Because we can't just keep doing the same Also, another plot. thing about the scene that I did like was that, like, they do, like, the joke... Where, like, Michael's, like, you got, like, something there. And it's the, like, light from the sniper. And, and like, he doesn't get it. And, like, it takes him a bit to realize that he's got a sniper dot on him. Which is good. Because sometimes it happens on this show. And, like, in other shows, too. But, like, I feel like in this show in particular. Where, like, a sniper dot will land on, like, a person's head. And, like, they'll react like they can see it. Right. Yes, I agree. Yeah, it's not until it moves down to his shirt that he like looks down and can actually see it. Exactly. It's like this thing of like a sniper dot hits up his head and they're like, oh, oh, it's like, you don't know what's on your head. <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah. Like, so you appreciated that as well. Yeah. So uh, I don't actually know if this is going to be Larry's send off, but I'm, I'm trying not to spoil myself. So but we'll see. Uh, so final couple of scenes back at the loft, Michael and Fee are packing some money and clothes uh, to escape because Vaughn's email is going to go out soon. And Fee laments that they only ever talk about their future when someone's trying to end it. Another good turn of phrase. And it kind of hints at the fact that like Fee is still kind of frustrated with Michael that he hasn't kind of made a decision one way or the other about like 
whether he's going to be done with this life and like wants to actually like invest in Fiona or, you know, whether he's going to just like pick up where he left off and they weren't even in contact then. And I think she, she keeps waiting for him to pick her and like be serious and have a serious conversation with her about it. And he keeps not doing it. And that's starting to get to a, you know, boiling point. And so they all end up at some like garage somewhere, somewhere with a bunch of mechanics tools while Fiona is, you know, finally getting into this fucking safe. And while Fiona and Sam and Michael are kind of dealing with opening the safe, Maddie and Jesse have a little sidebar and Jesse is kind of doing his own lamenting because he's like, "Mm, I really do regret not calling Marv's family before we all went on the run. And Maddie's like, oh, that's fine. I already called them. And she's like, I didn't give them many details, but I did tell them that their their dad slash husband died a hero. And what I've learned from watching you She specifically said that like she called and like the daughter picked up. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't know how the daughter is supposed to be. Yeah, I that was I was wondering if you were going to bring that up because I also thought that was weird. I was like, you didn't ask to talk, like, talk to her mom. I was just like imagining like her being like your daddy, daddy hero to like a seven year old. Mm-hmm. Just this random old woman that just called. Yeah, it is exactly. kind of wild. Yeah, it's like not like a good thing. Like did she talked to an adult. Like what? <laughs> She did once the little girl burst into tears, she asked for her to pass along the phone to her mom. <laughs> like when Yeah. Yeah, it was a little bit of a weird thing. I assume somehow the information got to the mom too. But point being, Maddie decided to make an executive decision mom, to call. Mom, daddy died a hero. <laughs> this random lady on the phone says so. Anyways, she was like, basically, I figured a little lie in this case would actually be best for them. Uh, and I was happy to provide that for them. And so Jesse feels better. They all make it into the safe. They reclaim their thumb drive. And then they're like, it's going to be four hours until Vaughn gets his email and until we're all absolutely fucked. So everybody gets some sleep. We've got to prepare. And that's the end of the burn notice episode that we just recapped. It sure was. Do you want to talk about some spy tips? There weren't that many. There were seven this week. And I cut two for being definitely either not a tip or something that we'd absolutely heard before because I remember the episode it was. But I don't think these five are going to stand. I think at least two of them are probably not good. So yeah, this uh, first kind of like not great at spy tips lately. No, no, we really haven't been. Even next week. Next week, I think is a little better because it's a Matt next episode. And you know, that's his shit. Um, and there's a lot of like improvised stuff they kind of have to deal with. But I, I'll be curious to hear how many there were. So number one for spy tips this week that I don't think is very good. Number one, used to expand mobile coverages to places without service, fem to cells reroute and boost cellular signals, which is great if you're a hacker looking to tap and trace a call made by a specific cell phone number. Here's what I will say about this spy tip, which is I am watching Mr. Robot. I am in the middle of season three of Mr. Robot. And so much of like season two of Mr. Robot revolves around the use and placement of a femme to sell. And no one ever actually explains what one does. So this was a very useful tip for me personally, because it helped me understand Mr. Robot better. Oh, well, then you know what? In that case, sure. Yeah. Also, I forgot to mention that they definitely reference Burn Notice on Mr. Robot. Oh, do they? That's incredible. At one point, like, they literally do, like, a jet that's like, this is not Burn Notice. <laughs> like, and they, like, full-on go on, like, they, it's a really meta joke. They're like, this is not Burn Notice. Characters are not welcome here. There are no blue skies here. <laughs> Which is such a, like, 
meta joke about USA. That's incredible. I love that. Mr. I love Robot's when people a fun show. Notice. Yeah, Mr. Robot was too much for me. I watched one season and I was like, that's enough. It's I- like season. The first half of season two is kind of a slog, but like then it like it really kicks in and like season three is amazing. I'm sure it is. Okay, cool. So then I guess we're keeping that one. Number two of the many ways to launch a sneak attack, few are more disorienting and terrifying for your enemy than dropping in from above. It gives you immediate and overwhelming superiority. The only downside, sometimes it means an eight-foot fall to the floor. I don't know. I don't know if I'm getting anything from this. I don't think, like, it's not giving a good situation in which you would a above attack would be useful other mm-hmm. than, like, a sneak yeah. attack. Yeah, exactly. Like, if it was, like, yeah, like, in this situation, you want to come from above. Mm-hmm. Or yeah. this is how no. to most effectively come in from above and avoid the eight-foot exactly. drop. Right, yeah. Okay, so we're we're officially under... Five, but let's keep going anyways. Oh number my two. god, really? Yeah. Yeah. Number two, if you're looking to frame a specific group for a bombing, you use their design plans, their construction materials, and their particular brand of C4. Bomb experts know that not all C4 is the same. The same tangent, 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 the same chemicals that allow manufacturers to identify their own product will also allow forensics teams to track down the source country to determine who's to blame. So here's what I'll say for this tip is that, yes, we've had a tip about people using each other's like bomb designs to frame each other. Uh, But I didn't know that there were different kinds of brands of C4. I thought that C4 was kind of just like a material. And it's useful for me to know potentially that like there are different brands of C4. So it's not like not all C4 is the same. Yeah, I'm with it. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, there was one I that I cut that was maybe related to the bomb, but it was like a literal almost word for word copy of a different tip we've had. So even though it was practical, we've definitely had it before. So I already eliminated it. Um, number three, when a real estate bubble bursts, it's tough on the civilian population, but it's a field day for spies. Empty buildings provide excellent cover for scouting in an urban environment. And it's always nice to plan and execute illicit operations in air conditioned comfort. Unfortunately, all that unoccupied space is a playground for criminals, too. I feel like this is nothing. Well, so what I'm going to say is that the second part, the part about how Brennan also used the fact that there was an empty building to his advantage by like absolute, like putting his stuff in the middle of it in broad daylight, but also because no one else is in the building, using it as a good, like a place where nobody can sneak into, I thought was clever. And that you could reverse engineer for a good guy thing. Like if you want to keep something safe, put it out in the open, but in a place that is like, there's no subtle way to get to and would be difficult to do quickly. Kind of, maybe. Like that makes sense. Maybe. I feel like there's a tip next week that's kind of like that. That's. I mean, this is already lost. I that was just, that was tip, my thing. It's not winning anyone. Yeah. It's not getting the like, yeah. I will say like, I remember hearing this tip and then kind of like forgetting that the idea is that the real estate bubble had burst, but like that ends up playing a part of next week too. So like it is an interesting little bit of world building that they're doing. It's kind of like at the beginning of the season where like, or was it the beginning where there was the hurricane? It's kind of mid-season. Mid-season for now. It was like a mid-season return or something. Like, but there was like a hurricane. And so like we were like living in the aftermath of that. And like, it feels like that they're trying to do the same thing. And it almost kind of works. And well, so I, like I'm, that. I'm yeah, fine cutting tip, this it's one, not. to be honest. Yeah. Cool. So uh, number three, a bomb built to distract is long on fuel and short on shrapnel. The larger the fireball, the more eyeballs it attracts. A bomb built to breach a wall, on the other hand, need not be particularly loud or visible. Charges shaped to direct force into structural supports can blow a hole in a wall without blowing out anyone's eardrum. 
like that sort of makes sense to me like i buy that yeah i mean like it's relative like it changes the way that you pack the bomb like knowing that you want to add more shrapnel to a big one versus another one yeah that makes sense the ratio of shrapnel oh i'll allow it yeah fine yeah i mean all like none of these are good (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like no and like it's not winning on spy tips anyway no so like, it's not so yeah speaking of there were not at least you know how five it's trying to win tips. yeah it's trying to win our uh, favor our rubric it's trying to be yeah. the the pearl of the season but it's not that's a bridgerton joke have you watched bridgerton yet i have not watched bridgerton <laughs> i enjoyed it a lot but i am also a person with trash taste so yeah there were oh, not we know <laughs> we're doing a burn notice podcast <laughs> Uh, whatever. Uh, so there were not at least five practical spy tips. Sad, 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 sad. Um, spycraft over violence? I think yes, just because like the central argument of the episode was should we use spycraft over violence? And they always erred on the side of spycraft. But then like Larry did always do a violence. Larry yeah. did do more violence in this episode than he tends to do. But it's about solving the weekly case with spycraft over violence. Yeah. That's true. I think they held up their end of the bargain. Honey, um, you know. <laughs> That's true. And also, like, we had the amazing scene where, like, like Michael and Larry pretended to be uh, lawyers. Yes, that and, like, was very That was fun. literally the best thing that's happened. So, like, <laughs> and Fee got to blow yeah. a lot of stuff up. But, yeah, there was, uh, but in Spycraft ways. Yeah, so I think Spycraft over violence, that, that holds true. Uh, do you think that <laughs> Michael's guileless, uh, just, like, assistant attorney thing was enough to be an alias no no but it sure was fun it was fun but it was not a distinct or returning alias unfortunately um okay so that's that's this is going to be a rough one so uh were fee and sam used well fee definitely was she got to blow up several things yes um and sam had that like thing where like i don't know sam had some stuff Sam as a character got to do some stuff, but was he peak Bruce Campbell at any point? Because he's had to do he's had to dig into his more like dramatic chops the past couple of episodes, just because like it's end of the season and everything is like you know amped up in terms of tension. True. Yeah, what did he get to do? Because he didn't even get to go to Carlitos. Every Carlitos scene was sans Sam, except for that first one. Yeah, like what was he doing in this episode? He was mostly just hanging out with Fee, like following her around as they tracked down Brennan's uh, right, safe. Yeah. But like he wasn't even in the most fun part of that, which was uh, No, you're right. You know, Jesse and Fee like throwing themselves off a building and rappelling. You're right. He did ha- get to have a very his sniper scene was good. You know, he got to be like, listen Larry, I would love to kill you. I would love to kill you so bad. Please give oh, me a reason. There was a line There was a line from the beginning of this episode that I forgot about until just now. He's staring at Brennan and Brennan's like, what are you, what's gone? And like, and then he goes, sorry, I was just trying to kill you with my mind. And then Brennan (laughs) goes, okay. Oh, I did like that. That was very funny. That was a really good line. That, okay. You know what? That plus the sniper scene, I'm willing to give it to them. Yeah. I like this episode. Yeah, I did too. Um, And like, um, yeah, that was just, that's a perfect two actors doing like funny lines that's true yeah he he does he he did a good job elevating scenes he was in this time instead of just sort of like being there um okay 
fine. Right. Good for Fee and Sam. Good at spycraft over violence. So the deciding factor once again becomes, is Jesse interesting enough to be a main character? He's mostly sad about Marv. He is sad about Marv. Uh, I mean, he's all, he's all like, you know, amped up and ready to murder at the beginning. And he's amped he, up and ready to yeah, murder in the middle. That was distinct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like him yeah. him being, and then Sam having to, like, talk to Fee and Jesse down. Like, no, you two absolutely, f- like, insane murder people. No, we can't just kill him. Everyone, like, Sam having to be the dad of, like, Jesse and Fee murder squad. Um, like, that's not a problem that, that he nice. would have had if it was Fee and Michael. It would have been Sam and Michael being like, Fee, no, we can't yeah. do a murder. Yeah. And like you said earlier, like... um, he got to have scenes with Madeline, and Madeline always elevates. Totally, yeah. And, and Jesse got some dramatic stuff. Even though I don't buy that it's Marv that he's this upset about, especially when it's absolutely not his fault. Like, I mean, I can see how he's interpreting it that way, but, like, you know, you didn't pull the Although, trigger. Although, I will say, Marv is a terrible idea. They have an idea next week that's, like, obviously a better idea. Like, what Marv was dumb. They should never have gone to Marv. Fair enough. But in any case, I did like the dramatic bits. I like to see that, like, Jesse struggling with guilt and, like, making, almost making kind of a selfish decision that Madeline talks him out of and then kind of continuing to try and make the hot-headed decision because that's his thing. Like, he felt distinct from Michael. He felt like he was a part of the plot. He felt like he added something to the ensemble. And also, Bruce Campbell wouldn't have been able to throw himself off the building like Fee, but... Fee wasn't going to be able to like wrestle that um, that safe out the window by herself. So like he he absolutely he's adding something to the ensemble emotionally and physically, and I think that that in my book counts. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm with you. Cool. Totally. So that's three out of five. Right. By the skin of its teeth, this is a great episode of Burn Notice. Now, and with us helping it along, <laughs> it's a little bit. But, you know, we didn't give it any of those spy tips. So great, it was a great episode of Burn Notice. Now, was it? a great episode of television. It was really fun. It was really fun. I felt like... It was the most fun that Burn Notice has been in a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think yeah, that I the tension was, like, earned. You know, I didn't... Yeah. It, wouldn't, it wasn't manufactured. Like, I believed that the villains were serious, and I believed that Michael himself was serious. Like, I, I felt like in a couple of places, I was like, I don't know how he's going to get out of this. This seems fucked. Maybe he's going to have to work with Larry and Brennan for the next two episodes, and, like, that'll be interesting. Like, I, I was kept on the edge of my seat. I laughed a lot. I thought there were some really lovely turns of phrases, and like, that didn't seem, yeah. you know, hodgepodged in there. They felt like a natural thing that all of these different people would be saying. It was yeah. kind of everybody and at even, their like, best. Larry was still kind of Larry, but like... Yeah, but that's a problem you know. with overall Larry and not necessarily with this episode. And I think this was, had we seen only like one other Larry episode, this still would have worked. Um, and like, True. Know, maybe I would have been less annoyed with it. So I kind of want to give it to a great... Like, I want to give it to... It was well I kind of think I want to do too. It was well written. It was like, you know... It was. The problems we had with this episode were like season large pro- problems. They weren't like yeah. this episode's fault. Right. I, um, I mean... Definitely. It, and like, I am the I am the person on record who has said before that like, to not blame episodes for season long problems. Yeah. So... So like, yeah. Fuck it. Fuck great it. episode. Great. So not only was this a great episode of Burn Notice, but it was also a great episode of television. And this is now officially the season of television of Burn Notice with the most great episodes of television. Because up until now, the most great episodes of television per season was four the past two seasons. 
We are officially up to five. So this is the strongest season of bird notice scientifically so far. Very, very interesting. Uh, Okay. We'll well, talk more about that next week. We we will. Yeah, we'll we'll do our season wrap up next week. So for this week, all that's left to say is thank you so much once again to Vincent E.L. for our theme music. You can find more of Vince's music at vincentel.bandcamp.com. And until next week, Burn Daddies. Bye. Femme to sell. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha.